Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Let's get into some news. So, first off, Netflix canceled its new show, Jupiter's Legacy, which was apparently very popular. I will never understand Netflix's renewal or cancellation decisions, but after eight episodes, this is the superhero show that uh, Josh Duhamel was in, if you've watched it. It's done. It's canceled. However, they are continuing the universe by ordering a new series focused on villains called Super Crooks. And also in Netflix news, so the final season of Kim's Convenience came out this week, and I've never watched this show, but those who I do know who watch it are very passionate about it, and apparently so is the cast. So this show ran five seasons. Again, the fifth and final season just premiered last week. And Simu Liu, who is the one of the stars of Kim's Convenience and is also going to be leading the new uh, Shang-Chi movie coming out from Marvel in September. So that's an upgrade for him. He wrote this Facebook post where he blasted Netflix and the creators over their decision to not renew the series. He apparently really wanted the show to continue. And like, you know, what actor doesn't want their gig to go longer? <laughs> like who doesn't want the consistent work? But um, he made this post and mentioned how disappointed he was that the spinoff that they have ordered or are working on, I'm not sure if they actually ordered it or if it's just in development, of Kim's Convenience, which is called Strays, apparently is focusing on the only non-Asian character in the cast. Which, the, yeah, not a good look, especially right now. Um, and he also made it clear that even if they ask him, he will not be reprising his role on the spinoff. So <laughs> a little bit of drama happening at Netflix. Over on FX, we got the announcement of some cast members finally of American Horror Stories, which is a sort of spinoff of American Horror Story. And rather than being a season long anthology, they're episode long anthologies. So like with American Horror Story, you know, every season is a new story. With American Horror Stories, each episode is going to be a new story. And I don't, there, everything's being kept under wraps. We don't really know what these stories are going to be. If it's going to be like a vampire story, um, a Frankenstein story, a mummy story, like we have no idea. But uh, we now do know some of the cast. So we know now that Kevin McHale, who was Artie on Glee, is going to be in an episode with Dylan Burnside, who plays Ricky on Pose, Charles Melton, who is Reggie on Riverdale, and a newcomer, Nico Greetham, or Greetham, I'm not sure how to say his last name. He had a small role in The Prom that Ryan Murphy made for Netflix, and I guess is now Ryan Murphy's like attractive, young, good-looking muse. <laughs> so they are all going to be an episode together. Also, Danny Trejo has been cast in an episode. And Sarah Paulson said last season, not last season, last summer, that she was going to direct at least one episode of the season. And they're deep into production, which is good because we also got a premiere date for American Horror Stories, which is going to debut Thursday, July 15th on 
Hulu. This is going to be the next in Hulu's collaboration with FX called FX on Hulu. They did a teacher uh, earlier this year or late last year, I forget which, and now we're getting American Horror Stories. It's being presented as a limited series, but we don't have an episode order yet. Also, now that we're talking about FX and FX on Hulu, they announced there's a new comedy series debuting on FX on Hulu on Monday, August 9th called Reservation Dogs. And this is a series that, quote, follows the exploits of four indigenous teenagers in rural Oklahoma who steal, rob, and save in order to get to the exotic, mysterious, and faraway land of California. And that, again, is starting August 9th. Also, they announced that the 10th season of American Horror Story with the subtitle Double Feature is going to premiere on Wednesday, August 25th at 10 p.m. and will be streaming the next day on Hulu. So that should work out that the that the finale will be right around Halloween as per usual. I'm real excited for this season because it was filmed in my absolute favorite place in the entire world, Provincetown. And we're getting an exciting cast. Um, Kathy Bates is back. Macaulay Culkin is on is in the cast this year. I'm excited. Archer will return to FXX on Wednesday, August 25th for season 12, and then next day on Hulu. And the third season of What We Do in the Shadows is airing at 10 p.m. on Thursday, September 2nd on FX, and again streaming the next day on Hulu. That show I have never watched, but it is Emmy nominated, supposedly really good. Maybe I'll catch up before the third season starts. And finally, the third season of American Crime Story, which has been long delayed and changed and rethought and recast and blah, blah, blah. We're finally getting a third season of American Crime Story subtitled Impeachment. So it's going to follow the impeachment of Bill Clinton and um, it will follow characters like Monica Lewinsky, Linda Tripp, Hillary Everyone will be coming to get there, and that will start airing Tuesday, September 7th at 10 p.m. on FX. Interestingly enough, not noted that it's streaming the next day on Hulu, so perhaps this will be like Pose, a show that is only available on FX and Hulu Plus Live. We'll see what happens there. Okay, and finally for news, HBO Max just this week launched a new ad-supported tier that comes in at $9.99 per month, which is a great deal. And even better, it only works out to be about four minutes of ads per hour. So that's really great, considering like if like live TV at this point is anywhere between 16 and 20 minutes of commercials per hour. So that's great there. And then if you think of like ad-supported Hulu, that typically works out to about you know, I, I've only, luckily, the, the person whose Hulu account I use uh, pays for premium. But back when I had the lower tier of Hulu, it usually worked out to about four minutes per half hour on Hulu. So that's a great deal. The only thing with this is it does not include the day and date theatrical premiere movies for HBO Max in conjunction with WB. So for example, I am recording this on Friday, and just today, The Conjuring 3 came out in theaters and on HBO Max. If you switch to the ad-supported tier, you will not have access to that movie, any of the ones that are still streaming in the 30-day window, like I think that Angelina Jolie firefighter movie that I made it 10 minutes into before I wanted to die. 
is still streaming and in the heights is coming next week or this week by the time you listen to it and a whole shit ton of other movies are coming out this year via this platform if you do switch to the ad supported tier you will no longer have access to those uh day and date films so i'm gonna keep the higher price just because like i just finished watching the conjuring and i was so excited for this movie i love that film series even the shit ones i usually have a good time with i hated this one uh, I thought it was slow. I thought it was boring. And it saved me a half an hour trip to the theater, a $12 ticket, and then a half an hour trip back. So I'm going to keep this tier for the rest of the year. Although WB did announce they will not be renewing this contract with HBO Max to do the day and date premieres in 2022. So I'll probably switch to the ad-supported tier in January. And on top of that, this ad-supported tier includes zero commercials for HBO content. So like Mayor of Easttown, for example, was an HBO series. That will have zero commercials in this ad-supported tier. The commercials are only for original HBO Max content. All right, coming up this week on the podcast, I am recapping the series premiere of Drag Race España, which is airing Sundays on the WoW Presents Plus app. And also I'm going to talk about the Rugrats reboot that is now on Paramount Plus. So stay tuned for that. We all know how much I love Drag Race. And for some reason we have been blessed now with yet another drag race franchise airing at the same time as drag race down under and thank god for that really because drag race down under had a really good first episode i recapped it on the podcast but um since then it's uh it's not been very good actually it's been pretty terrible so i'm glad that we now have drag race espana so on Saturdays, we're getting Drag Race Down Under for at least another few weeks. And then on Sundays, we get Drag Race España. So this is more along the lines of Holland or Canada. RuPaul is not involved with this iteration of Drag Race at all. Um, actually, this one is kind of even more removed than Holland and Canada, because at least on Holland and Canada, RuPaul like made one or two, maybe even more video appearances. Like she wasn't on the show, but at least she like gave her blessing to it. She is nowhere to be seen on this other than we can hear a lot of her music in the background of the episode. But we get, now I don't know jack shit about drag in Spain. So I'm going into this so very blind. And that might be a good thing because, um, I have no preconceived notions. I've never heard of any of these queens. I have never seen a Spanish drag queen before. So I am just kind of going with the flow this time around. And that's wonderful. So first of all, the prize is 30,000 euros and a year's supply of makeup from some makeup company I've never heard of. And which is good because, you know, as we all know on UK, they don't get any prizes. And it is hosted by a drag queen called Suprema Deluxe, whom I've never heard of, but based on the way people were reacting to her is famous in Spain. So that's, that's cool. Um, we have 10 queens and like, I'm going to butcher all of these pronunciations. My apologies in advance. I took French in high school. I don't know anything about the Spanish language <laughs> or Spain the country, 
So bear with me. Uh, first in is Aranza Castilla-La Mancha. And guys, this whole cast is pure chaos. It is unreal how unhinged so much of this show is thanks to the casting. And like, I'm assuming based on the style of all of these queens that this is just kind of what Spanish drag is. And that's great because it is very, very different from American drag. Even it, it's the camp factor of like the Australian and the UK iterations of this show to the nth degree. Like it is absolutely absurd. So many of these queens. So Aranza is the first in and immediately I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a real weird show. Then she's followed by Sagittaria and who her entrance line is I'm like, why have a star when you're a whole constellation? Which like, also let me jump in for a second. The subtitles on the World of Wonder app for this episode so much better than the ones for Holland. I never finished Drag Race Holland because I found it so distracting. Like drag is such a visual art form. So to have to read the show while also look at what's happening, it made my brain go wonky. So I never really got into it. And also I have a Roku. So to turn subtitles on wow the wow app on roku i have to just turn the roku app's entire closed captioning on so that got to be annoying plus they were like they're in white with no background color so it half the time it was washed out anyway so on this particular iteration the translation seems to be much better like uh the next contestant to come in is poopy poison which like that is not me mispronouncing that is how they say it poopy poison I don't know what that means, P-U-P-I. And then it looks like poisson in French, fish, but that's not what it means. It means like passion or something. But like, is that passion for poop? I don't know. <laughs> Regardless, she comes in and like says a little poem and it actually, they translate it into English with a rhyme in English. So it seems like the translation is better. Um, regardless, it's still very distracting and they talk so fast that sometimes it gets to be a lot to read the subtitles, but it's much easier, I think, to follow than it was for Holland. Anyway, so like I said, we get Sagittaria, Poopy Poisson, so many weird over-the-top queens. Hugasio Crejente, I think is how you say the last name, comes in, and he is a trans queen and dresses in like these bright-ass primary colors and color-blocked costume. Um, Inti comes in and she is an indigenous queen, which I do not know the, any indigenous history of Spain. So I do not know what, and I don't, I don't remember if she even mentioned what the people's name was. Regardless, um, drag Volcano comes in and like, I feel like this might be a style of drag that is separate from traditional Spanish drag. Maybe this is traditional Spanish drag. But this reminded me, uh, Drag Volcano comes in, reminded me of um, Carnival in Brazil, which I know is a different country and a whole different culture and they don't even speak the same language. That is not the point. <laughs> the point I'm making is that it's like, this, like she has a huge headpiece and she's wearing these stilts for shoes that are, I wanna say like maybe a foot and they look like hooves and a very like Cirque du Soleil-ish 
painted face. Like this is not drag in the sense that there is any form of female impersonation or attempt to pass, quote unquote. This is just like, this is costume, this is clown, and not in a derogatory way. It's so interesting. I loved Drag Volcano. Carmen Farala comes in and looks like an escapee from the Real Housewives of New Jersey, like orange fake tan, knockoff Versace. It's crazy. Then later in the episode, she comes out in the, for the main challenge in a knock, again, like a knockoff Chanel looking outfit with like this terrible stringy wig and again, painted all over the body in orange. It's, it's wild, like has the wildest confessions, pretends to faint at one point in the workroom. Like these queens are so over the top. It's absolutely insane. I love it. Um, anyway, so we, we have 10 queens total. The mini challenge is to ride a mechanical bull without getting thrown off for a photo challenge, which is a classic early season drag race challenge. Like do something ridiculous for a photo shoot. You know, you had like the apocalypse challenge in season four and the underwater in season five. And like the Drag Race UK was, you know, you're going to get hit in the face with tennis balls while you take your picture this past season. So that's great. And then the main challenge is a, a design challenge. We were given a box of trash and you have to make an outfit out of it. And these queens are out of their minds. Like none of them know what to do with anything. And the <laughs> it's it's like a telenovela. That, like they are all acting as if they are on a telenovela. They're all like staring at each other and whipping their heads around. And uh, Suprema comes in to do their walk through and like none of them have anything to show her. And there's one queen, I think it was Killer Queen, is like knows how to sew and is sewing and they all are giving her death glares and talking in their confessionals like, how dare she? None of us know what we're doing and here she is making an outfit. Like, bitch, that's the challenge. It's so crazy. Um, so then we, and, and all they do, the whole episode, while they're going through this challenge is talk about how I'm going to shit my pants. I'm shitting myself. Like Sagittarius says, I'm shitting myself at least three times. I'm going to poop. I'm going to piss. I'm going to vomit. Like it's so blue. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. Then we have the Macarena who is the last, I think the last queen in and just keeps calling everyone trigger warning fags. <laughs> like just keeps using the word Maricon over and over. And I'm like, is this a translation thing? Like obviously the direct translation of Maricon is fag, but is this like, do they call each other that, like the way that American women and drag queens call each other like, hey bitch or something? Like I, do, I don't get it. And it was, it wasn't just once, it was, I want to say about a half dozen times at the very least, it was, it was pretty extensive. And I know that it's not their way of saying bitch because at one point, um, Suprema says bitch on the runway and the word was not Maricon that she said. It was peras or something like that. Sorry, again, I do not speak Spanish. I'm sorry. Um, the, the, then the outfits come out on the runway y'all. And like, there's so much color. And like, that is one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode. Do not get me wrong. The colors, the vibrancy of everything was so refreshing. 
and so bright and so joyful. Like that was so cool. It was very much like a celebration of drag. And that's great because I feel like so many of the more recent seasons of United States Drag Race are just kind of going through the motions. Like, you know, I'm paying thousands of dollars for these outfits. Look how pretty they are. Look how pretty my makeup is. Look at my, look at me posing. And then, you know, we get Instagram shoots of after every episode of them, like hiring a professional photographer to make them look their best. You know, like it, it's kind of a rote thing. So to see these queens looking in a lot of cases, like a hot mess in these terrible costumes that they've made out of like toilet brushes and hula hoops and shit like that and mops and but then to like make up a story around it is just so satisfying even when it is so ugly so, <laughs> and a prime example of that is the winner of this challenge is Hugasio, who comes out looking like a fish like painted blue face blue outfit mops on her hands but then is walking down the runway being like i'm mopping up my tears as i'm crying and it was very like pagliacci in a way like looked kind of like a clown the crying clown like painted on a permanent sad face and it like but so many of the stories were just fun um poopy poisson comes out and is dressed like a giant toilet brush and makes up a whole story about it like it's just it was it was very silly and joyful and that that's great i highly recommend the show just for those reasons alone um but hugasio wins for this bizarre creation that i would have probably gotten her sent home on u.s drag race which is so the the judging is I, I I can have no opinions this season because I clearly do not know what is good, what they are looking for. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a learning curve for all of us watching this of like what is good, what is fun, what is bad. Because like me looking at the costumes that they created, um, my bottoms would have been very different than the bottoms that were there. It was Dovima Normi who has some beef with Sagittaria. They used to be roommates and had a falling out. But like, again, going back to the telenovela thing, they like actually address it on camera. Like, oh, you have drama, what is it? And the entire room gasps and clutches their pearls. And they're like, well, we're not gonna talk about it on the first episode. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Anyway, so she's in the bottom with the Macarena and they have this terrible lip sync song which like, I don't know if it's a bad song just for lip syncing or if the song itself is just bad, but I did not like the song. Um, and I did not like either of their lip syncs, but regardless, Dovima Normi probably would have been in my bottom too because she wore this like fishnet dress that she created, but it was because it's a literal fishnet, not like fishnet stockings, like a literal net for catching fish. Um, she kept getting caught in it as she was walking because like that's not fabric, that's it's not meant to be draped so it was like sagging and like it was like her heels were stabbing through it oh my god that's the other thing guys the shoes on this show are fucking disgusting <laughs> everyone's shoes are so ugly they're terrible if you've seen the promos for drag race espana where they show the shoe on the solid color background everyone wears those lucite hooker heels with like the giant strap over the top that like they that the kind of shoes that like delight wore in the groove is in the heart video like it's those shoes god they're disgusting and everyone wears them they're so ugly anyway 
Um, so Dovima normally like getting caught in her own um, in her own dress, but then Sagittaria was also near the bottom, and I did not think her outfit was bad. I just thought it was unimaginative because she was like, "Oh, I'm going to do a really cinched waist and then like basically glue balls to me," and that's what Kinamine just did last week on Drag Race Down Under, was she like glued balls to herself and was safe. And like, I'm done with the balls. I'm done with gluing balls on yourself. I think Kenya Michaels did that in season four and was in the bottom for it. Like, can we go back to putting people in the bottom for gluing balls on themselves? Enough. Um, but my, I, I don't know, like, I, what I thought was hideous was apparently not what the judges thought was hideous. So that this should be a fun ride this season. <laughs> I am go just going to sit back and let myself enjoy it because... My God, this was such an insane premiere. It's all over the place. It is overproduced. It is, they're all acting at all times. They're all on at all times. Like the confessionals are ridiculous. Like I said, Carmen Farala is in there and pretending to faint and talking uh, about how much everyone else talks. And I'm like, bitch, you have not shut up yourself. Um, and like, they're all talking about how they're gonna poop themselves and piss themselves and vomit all over. And it's just, it's, my God, it is, it's a lot. The personalities are enormous. But that's why we love drag, right? Like who wants a boring queen? I think maybe that's a problem with some of the more recent seasons of Drag Race for me. It's like the more we move toward, like I was saying, these look queens where it's like, look how pretty I am. Look how well I do makeup. But then they don't really have much in the way of talent. That's not interesting to me. Like, if you don't have a personality, if you don't have a talent, if you can't tell a good joke, if you can't sing a song, if you can't lip sync, if you can't dance, the fuck are you doing being a drag queen? Just be a makeup artist. Or, like, be a fashion designer. You know what I mean? And Spain is very much not that. <laughs> a lot of these queens don't seem to give a fuck what they look like. And that is refreshing. Uh, new episodes of Drag Race España drop every Sunday at 2 p.m. on the WoW Presents Plus app. That's because that's 8 o'clock in Spain, which is when it airs live. So give it a shot. Make sure your subtitles are on unless you are very fluent in Spanish because it it's a wild ride. It's no secret if you listen to other episodes of this podcast that I have a huge love for 90s Nickelodeon. It is my happy place. It reminds me of simpler times. It's nostalgic. I love it. And I still, you know, if you listen to last, last week's episode, I recommended Salute Your Shorts because I had just rewatched it on Paramount+. Plus. I still, when I can, watch these shows from my childhood. And Paramount Plus is banking on people just like me because they rebooted Rugrats a couple of weeks ago with five new episodes. Uh, more are coming, airing only on Paramount Plus. And um, it's, it's weird. It's weird. So I don't really, my thoughts are very scattered on this. So I'm going to be all over the place. Apologies in advance. Now, the, the rebooted episodes of Rugrats, first of all, you've probably heard about it or seen a something on the internet about it because it's a new it's a new animation style the original rugrats was traditionally drawn cartoon the this version of rugrats is like 3d computer animated 
And it is truly strange to look at at first. Um, it took me about, the first episode is about 40 minutes and it took me like a little more than halfway through that episode to actually get used to the style. And part of that is because the way they utilize it is so kind, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's weird, it's bizarre, it's unsettling, it's, it's very uncanny in the Freudian sense of it where like something looks very familiar, like it looks like something that you know, but is just slightly off to the point that it makes you feel eerie or I don't unsettled. And that is what this is because it looks and sounds and has the feel of Rugrats, but it's just off enough to, 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 my stomach was a little upset. You know what I mean? Like it was like that weird feeling of like, this doesn't feel right. So that's very strange. That started to go away about halfway through after this like fucked up dream sequence where Chucky was half worm with the person head and was being eaten by a bird that had Angelica's face. It was, so, oh God. Okay, so this first episode is called Second Time Around and it basically mashes up a few different original run Rugrats storylines. And they even mentioned one of them where Chucky accidentally eats part of a worm and he's worried about it. So it calls to mind the episode where he ate the watermelon seed, which they directly reference. And he says, I once ate a watermelon seed and I was worried about it, but nothing happened. But then it also is very heavily influenced by the episode um, called Rhinoceritis, where Chucky gets a scab and Angelica tells him that he's turning into a rhinoceros because he's getting gray, scaly skin. Um, because in this time around, Chucky, Angelica convinces Chucky that he is going to turn into a worm, which is where that fucked up dream comes from. So there's, again, there's a sense of the familiar because if you are my age or around my age, you grew up watching Rugrats like pretty much around the clock. In the 90s, the Rugrats reigned supreme. They were on, especially the weekends, they aired hours at a time on Nickelodeon. You know, then they took over the movies. They went, the Rugrats movie came out in 98 and then there were two sequels to that. And it, it was everywhere. You could not escape Rugrats. Everyone my age watched Rugrats. And we didn't just like watch Rugrats. We watched it religiously, like all the time. There were, we had the videos. We had, when they eventually came out, DVDs. We went to the movies. There were live stage shows. I mean, it was, you could not escape it. The merchandise, everything. It was everywhere. Rugrats were a huge part of millennials growing up. So we are, especially me, and I know a lot of people that I know are intimately familiar with these storylines. So like right away, we know what episodes this new reboot is referencing with this, with this first episode back. And this, the voice cast is mostly the same. Sadly, the original Chucky, Christine Cavanaugh, passed away um, a few years ago. So she was replaced by Nancy Cartwright, who actually replaced Christine Cavanaugh for the final two seasons of the original run of Rugrats. But, so, but then, so we have that familiarity of like, oh, these are the original voice actors for the babies. But also the original Rugrats aired from 91 to 2004. So... 2004 was over 15 years ago this ended. So these actors have aged a lot. Their voices are in rougher shape than they were in the 90s. So 
it sounds like them, but also it's a little off because they've aged so much. And our voices change when we get older, obviously, especially if you're a voice actor where you're, you know, doing crazy things to your voice all the time. So there's that is uncanny as well as the way that they sound because they sound like the original cast, but not totally. It's such a bizarre experience in terms of the feelings that it evoked in me. Beyond that, just like as a show, now that I am in my 30s watching this, like I can watch the original Rugrats episodes and like go back to that place of childhood and not think too much about it. But now watching this and seeing how they have updated things, um, it makes me think how weird the whole conceit of this show is. So like, okay. First of all, there is... In this episode, in this first episode, um, they have now made Phil and Lil's mom, Betty, is canonically gay or queer, lesbian, something. She, Howard, is no longer in the picture. Phil and Lil do not have a father who is present on this show. They have a single mom in Betty who runs a coffee shop and mentions an ex-girlfriend in the first episode. So... We, so that, that's a big change, a very welcome one because Betty was very clearly coded queer in the original series. She had the female symbol. She was always dressed in workout gear. She had that gruff voice. She was always ordering her husband around. Like she was, she was a coded lesbian, um, in the nineties. So that's a change. Uh, also grandpa Lou now has a ponytail that's braided and he does yoga and there's a joke about him doing mushrooms. So like he's a very hippy dippy character, um, so that's 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 all there. But um, I forgot where I was going with this. But so I'm just gonna keep talking in general, kind of about like what is weird about this. Um, oh God, yeah, that that's what it was like. Seeing things that don't really add up about this series anymore than now that I'm older. So they there's a specific reference to Grandpa Lou being 70 years old in this first episode. So he's 70. That would have to make Stu and Drew old, in a sense. Like, not old. I mean, unless they both had their kids older. So, like, okay, so we know Angelica is two to three. We know Tommy is one. So, unless both Stu and Drew and Lou all had their kids super old... I like they have the parents all have to be my age, like early 30s. And that is weird because people I, I don't I'm just I'm confused by the timeline. So let's okay, so Lou is 70. Let's say because he has this whole free love, weird yoga thing that they've now made him, let's say he had Drew and at like four at 39 and Stu at 40. That would, that would then make sense of like Stu and Drew being like around 30 now. Because to have a one-year-old, how old are people having one-year-olds now? I don't, I, like, I don't know. Maybe that's the point. Maybe, maybe they are supposed to all be older because people nowadays are having kids older. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about like my, all of my friends who have kids are, yeah, had them like in their mid to late 30s. So maybe that's the statement they're making. I don't know. That's strange. But then the way they act, 
Like they're all getting back together to go to a concert is both young and old. Like the way they're acting about this, like Dee Dee still dresses like she's a frumpy woman. And maybe that's something else doesn't make sense to me is that Dee Dee always dressed like such a housewife, like that she always perpetually dressed like she was in her forties, like wearing that red dress and the pearl necklace. But then Betty dressed like she was 20 and like rolled out a bit like a like a 20 year old college student who rolled out of bed and just went to class in her pajamas. It's just it's so fucking weird. I don't get it. I don't get how old everyone is supposed to be. There are millennial jokes. There are Gen Z jokes like this is, again, what is confusing. Betty makes a Gen Z joke. So we know that Betty then is a millennial, but more likely Gen X which makes them all old parents. And it's just, it's weird. It's strange. I don't get it. Um, I don't know. I didn't enjoy <laughs> this first episode in any way, shape or form. I tried to go in with a very open mind, but I, my mind kept wandering because it is so garish. And so, like I said earlier, uncanny, where like it's so close to what you remember, but also at the same time, so very off. <laughs> I hated so much of the voice acting, not necessarily from the babies, even though that added to the uncanniness, but the adult actors, let's see. So it's, it's a great cast of adult voice actors. So Tony Hale, who has multiple Emmy wins for Veep, is Chaz, Chucky's dad. And his voice performance is my least favorite. He is very clearly putting on a voice and it's supposed to be like a nasal kind of like, you know how Chucky's dad always kind of was like, had that like a stuffy nose kind of voice. But Tony Hale swallows his voice too much. So it kind of sounds like he, like Chaz is deaf in this version. Like it's, it's a strange, it's a, it, it's a very strange voice performance. Michael McKeon is Lou and just, there's no variation to his voice. It's just very straight toned. And, you know, like in the original Rugrats to hammer home the, how old Lou is supposed to be in comparison. Like, I don't think Lou Pickles in that version was actually like a 90 year old man. But that's how he comes off because of the hearing aid and the losing his hair and the 15 miles, like the crazy old man voice. I think that's how the babies pictured him. Like, because they're so young, they can't even fathom someone being as old as him. He probably actually was like 65. But in, so in this version, he has like that kind of voice of a 65 year old, but then it, he doesn't sound like a grandpa. It's weird. I don't, that's my own hang up. Nicole Byer is one of the better ones as Dr. Lucy Carmichael, Susie's mom, and Omar Benson Miller as Susie's dad. They're the more successful ones. Natalie Morales, I kind of liked as Betty. Um, although there are times where she kind of slipped into uh, mimicking the voice performance of the original actress, who I think was Kath Susie, who is doing Phil and Lil. Anyway, um, I do not like Timothy Simons or Tommy Dewey, who are Drew and Stu, respectively. Again, they're, they're just playing the voice parts, like, very straight. Like, there's not a whole variation to, like, the tone and timbre of their voice. And that's something that when you are doing children's cartoons, especially, you need to be aware of. And then Anna Klumsky is Charlotte. And I like the changes they made to Charlotte. In this version, Charlotte is not like a high-powered businesswoman like she was in the, original, in the original Rugrats. In this version, she's a city councilwoman. So like that adds to the 
bloated sense of self-importance, which I found very funny. And there's some great writing for both for the adult characters. Like Betty in this version is the best character in the whole show. Like she has some real funny one-liners. Like I said, she's running her coffee shop and said, I have an order for Jen, Gen Z. And then a young girl comes up and like takes a selfie with the coffee. That's funny. After Charlotte walks out and is like bragging about the perks of being a city council member, Betty goes, I didn't vote for her. Like that's funny. And maybe that's why I didn't latch onto this as much because I'm obviously an adult now. So my humor has changed and I no longer find um, the like childlike wonder in the babies sections, but I'm relating to the adults because they're closer to my age bracket. I don't know. Because when I do watch the original Rugrats, I still laugh at some of these episodes and how silly they are. You know, every year I still watch the Rugrats Christmas episode, the Santa experience. It is not Christmas to me without it. I still watch the Hanukkah episode and the Passover episode every year. So like the Rugrats are still very much a part of who I am and like a lot of like my cultural and um, I don't know, my awareness of things like other religions and other races and other cultures is very much because I grew up as a child seeing it on Rugrats. And like that I think is very much missing from this uh, version so far. But then again, it's been five episodes and I've only watched two so far. So I don't know. I'm so torn on this because I really wanted to like this. I was very excited for it, even though it looked off and strange and weird. And that all definitely played into my overall feelings for it. But like also I don't know. It's just not that good. It's just not that good. Maybe they need time to find their footing. I I don't know. I am glad that they did not go the traditional remake route of just like redoing uh, Rugrats episodes from the 90s in this weird animation style, which they did for a couple of YouTube videos. You can go watch those where they remade a few scenes like from the first episode where Angelica throws Tommy's ball over the fence and another episode which is escaping me at the moment. But they redid some of those scenes like with the new animation and, the, and new voice performances and they're weird to watch and I'm glad they didn't do whole episodes like that. But I also just... I don't know if this show needs to exist because I like if I was a kid watching this, I don't know that I would be as entertained by it. I Again, I found some of it terrifying to look at. But then again, a lot of animation now is terrifying to look at. So what the fuck do I know? I don't have kids. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to give it a shot and be a little freaked out, if you want your childhood, you know, mangled slightly, go ahead and watch these new episodes of Rugrats. They're airing now on, streaming now on Paramount Plus. We're officially into summer now in TV land. So not a whole lot with new shows this week. Streaming will be amping up though by the end of the week and throughout the summer. So on Wednesday, we get our first taste of that with the premiere, the first episode of Disney Plus's Loki, which is the new uh, Marvel series based on the character who, spoiler alert, if you somehow have not seen Avengers Endgame yet, uh, died, <laughs> but is now back in his own show. So I don't know if we're getting a prequel or some multiverse shit. I have no idea. Maybe both. I don't know. Uh, but the first episode of that drops on Wednesday. Wednesday. 
Then we also have Vanderpump Dogs <laughs> premiering on Peacock. And this is a spinoff of sorts from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. If you are a viewer of that and or of Vanderpump Rules, Lisa Vanderpump has featured her dog rescue slash pet grooming slash pet store Vanderpump Dogs on both of those series before. And now the cast and she are getting a entire series. So Vanderpump Dogs is Wednesday on Peacock. On Thursday, TBS is debuting a new, I sounded so British, debuting, is debuting a new game show called The Cube. Then on Friday, Amazon is releasing the second season of Flack, which I'm not familiar with. I know it stars Anna Paquin, and I'm pretty sure it aired on a traditional over-the-top cable network. I think not a streamer for the first season, but the first season is now on Amazon. The second season comes out on Friday. Also starting on Friday is the second season of Home Before Dark on Apple TV+. The entire second season of Love, Victor drops on, on uh, Hulu, just in time for Pride. And the second season of Betty premieres on HBO and HBO Max. <clears throat> for finales, we say goodbye to New Amsterdam, A Million Little Things, uh, Hacks on HBO Max, which I haven't watched yet, but has been getting some really good reviews from people that I trust, which is the new Gene Smart show. The very last episode ever of Queen of the South on USA, plus the second season finale of Legendary on HBO Max, which if you're not watching, um, stay tuned because that is my recommendation for the week. <laughs> the series finale of Younger airs on Paramount Plus and Hulu on Thursday, plus the season finale and potentially series finale. We still haven't heard any news either way of Manifest on NBC. The finale of Rebel on ABC, which was canceled a couple of weeks ago. The sixth season finale of Fear the Walking Dead and the season finale of Z-Way on Showtime. And also, clap your hands, praise the Lord, the final episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians is this week as well. So it is June. Happy Pride to all of my LGBTQ plus listeners, which is, I think, quite a few of you based on who I know in real life has told me they're listening. Yay! My first recommendation is Legendary, which I have talked a little bit about on the podcast before when their season premiere was announced. Legendary is one of the most entertaining shows I feel like I watch right now, it's a reality competition series that airs on HBO Max. It's currently airing its second season. Like I just said, the second season finale airs this Thursday. Um, the first season was one of the shows that HBO Max launched with last year. And it, like I said, is a reality competition series where houses... Um, compete for ball trophies and then eventually to be the superior house and then you win a cash prize. If you watch Pose, you are familiar with houses. They are groups of queer, usually mostly trans and people of color who kind of choose each other as their family and then assume these semi-traditional familial roles, only they're not related and it's just because they need support from one another and to support one another. You know, there's a house mother who kind of takes care of everyone and runs the the uh, the choreography and the competition and things like that. There are, you know, sisters and all that. And a lot of the houses are named after fashion houses like House of Balmain from last season. This season we have House of Balenciaga and others. And it's just really, again, if you watch Pose, you know this subculture 
um, with voguing and catwalk and duck walk and all of these wonderful um, contributions that in particular trans women of color have given all of us, not just queer people, not just LGBTQ people, but all of us, you know, um, things like no shade, that phrase was popularized mm -hmm. in the ball culture. A lot of voguing was popularized in ball culture. Uh, spilling the tea doesn't come from ball culture, but it was definitely cemented in ball culture. So a lot of what straight white mainstream society thinks of as edgy and cool and fun actually comes from this underground world. And of course it is the precursor to shows like Drag Race. And legendary is that it's, it's a real life version of pose crossed with drag race. I absolutely love it. Megan the stallion is one of the judges. Jamila Jamil, who people like for some reason is also a judge. And I, they have some great celebrity guest judges throughout the seasons. And I just really love the show. It's so entertaining. There is so much talent and the shit that they do is just so cool and so fun and so colorful and joyful. And these balls were really a celebration of life. It was taking this pain that people were feeling in the real world and creating their own underground world, sometimes literally underground and making it work in their strengths. Like if you've ever heard a phrase like giving you realness, that comes from ball culture. Realness categories were categories of things that these people, queer, gay, lesbian, trans, black, Latina, whatever it is that they were excluded from in real life. So like in ball culture, it would be things like executive realness, where you would dress up in like a suit with a briefcase. And that was a pipe dream because you were serving realness because you could pass for an executive, but we all know you aren't really one because you never could be. And it was giving power to yourself and owning that and kind of celebrating the fact that you know, the only thing holding you back is your queerness or your blackness or your transness or whatever it is that we all wear in costumes. Like RuPaul says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. That being an executive is drag. Just like being at this ball is drag. So legendary, again, highly recommend. It is so much fun. You will, I, I promise, I don't know anybody who does not like the show. You will love it. And start watching some queer shit. Support queer artists this pride. No more corporate bullshit. I'm done with it this year. <laughs> so Legendary is on HBO Max, not regular HBO, HBO Max. Um, the final episode is this Thursday, and you can catch up on the whole rest of season two and season one on the HBO Max app. Okay, that does it for me this week, everyone. Uh, remember to come back next week for more news, more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.